Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. My name is Jacob. I have the good pleasure of impersonating a podcast host on today's episode with me at the figurative and literal kitchen table, Michael Novak. Michael, how's it going, man? Good. Uh, took a week off last week. Good to yeah, be we back. Did. We did. It is good to be back. Halloween around the corner. Halloween. Tomorrow, Reformation Day. No, Thursday night, right? Thursday yeah, Thursday night. night. Yes, yes. I've got a dentist appointment tomorrow for my pre-Halloween cleaning. There you go. You get it clean before all before the, I go all and yeah, I just get it get go crazy. Do you dress up for Halloween? I do not. Oh, I hand out candy. I dress like a monk and nail lists to people's doors, and no one gets it. So, <laughs> yeah, you're not popular. Yeah, I'm I, not popular. So, uh, do you have a favorite candy? Because we bought a bunch of candy to hand out uh, to kids, and all the Snickers are already gone. Yeah, we just bought a bunch of candy too. Um, you know, I guess my favorite candy would probably be uh, a Rollo. A Rolo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's not to like? Do about you go a to Rolo? Baskin Robbins and order <laughs> vanilla? <laughs> Chocolate and caramel. It's a classic. Oh my gosh! I thought you'd say something good like a Whopper or something. Oh my goodness, a Whopper! That, I, I can't think of a worse candy to get in my bag Dude, than a Whopper. I will take all. Give me, <laughs> give me the Whoppers and the Junior Mints and the Hot Tamales. Junior Mints are good, but the Whopper—that is a mark against you. You know, friend. HEB does their own. They have like the bulk section and you can get there. They have multiple full milk. of whoppers because nobody likes them. <laughs> <laughs> they do have multiple milk balls. But what they also yeah. have, uh, if uh, if you're part of the Whopper elect, then go and find the malted milk ball, chocolate covered. But between the, <laughs> the, the malted milk core and the chocolate coating is a layer of peanut butter. Ooh, wow. Come on, man. A Whopper is both crunchy and soft at the same time. I don't know oh, how it pulls that off. I'm bringing you Whoppers. You get all the leftover Whoppers from my kid's bag. <laughs> well, you can get all the Rollos that are still on the shelf at all the stores because right. no one bought them. <laughs> at least I didn't say Werther's Original, right? Oh, man. Oh, man. They're delicious, too, though. The caramel ones. Mm. I suppose. Mm. I'm an old soul when it comes to candy, maybe. <laughs> I guess they're good if you need to get you know keep your kids quiet during church. That's that's the only thing I associate Werther's caramels uh, for. Hopefully, nobody's handing out Whoppers, Werther's Originals, or Rolos on Thursday <laughs> night because we have just slammed everybody. Oh man. Um, okay, that's that was a wild digression. Um, yeah, let, <laughs> let's get into five our, points of Calvinism. <laughs> let's get into our topic for today. Um, so two weeks ago, we left off talking about limited atonement. Uh, which is probably one of the mo- the most contentious of the five points of Calvinism, I think. Um, why don't you give folks just a real quick two-sentence review of what that is? Yeah, at the core of the issue with limited or particular or definite atonement is this question. According to Scripture, did Christ make salvation possible or did Christ make salvation definite? Did he come to offer the opportunity for salvation to be embraced, or did he come to actually accomplish salvation on his people's behalf? And uh, the doctrine of limited atonement would say he came to make de- uh, salvation definite. He came to accomplish it uh, for his people. Um, and so that's really the crux of the issue here. Which means then, by definition, that the atoning sacrifice of Christ was intended for the elect only, and not for every single flesh and blood human. Yep. God the Father elected uh, certain people before the foundations of the world to salvation, and He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in order to come and die for the elect. Mm -hmm. So if we reject this, we find ourselves in the position where we are either rejecting the substitutionary nature of Christ's sacrifice, which really prevents any level of assurance, 
or we're universalists. That's right. And I think what's so important about this doctrine is that it gives us assurance Mm -hmm. because it doesn't make salvation possible based on something that we do or enough faith that we have or moral decisions we make. It says Jesus came to accomplish salvation for God's elect. And because he did that, it's not based on the amount of faith I have or the morality of my life or the decisions that I make. It's based on his accomplished work on my behalf, which gives us lots of freedom and assurance and joy when we think of salvation. So for the Christian, there is an absolute objective assurance, which is Christ on the cross. Now, then there's the question of sort of how assured I feel, and that's probably a topic for another another podcast. Yeah, that but, is true, because um, that can wane, wax and wane. And has a lot more to do, too, I think, with with psychology than theology itself. So can, yeah. Um, but there's there's obviously some objections to this idea of limited atonement, and, and they're well-founded objections. They're objections that are coming from Scripture, and so um, I think it's a good idea for us to look at a couple of those. The one you hear often is, what about all these passages um, in the Bible that talk about Christ dying for the world. I'll read one um, just real quickly that comes to mind. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Mm-hmm. So what do we make of this? Yeah, a lot of folks will look at these passages that mention the word world and say, well, look, God uh, sent Jesus, and He came to die for the whole world, and so it's important for us in uh, considering this objection to talk about what is meant with this term world Mm -hmm. when the Bible uses it in the New Testament. And um, when the New Testament writers use this word, it normally means the same thing. Uh, And here's what it means. World doesn't mean every individual person. Uh, Let me read Luke 2, 1 for you. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now all the world was taxed by Caesar Augustus. Does this include the people of Northern Europe, uh, the people that um, are in Northern Africa, the um, Americas, China, uh, even in Asia? No, it simply means the Roman Empire, not every single individual in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you flip to John twelve nineteen. I'm using these as examples um, that are normative for how the New Testament writers use the word world. Uh, in John twelve nineteen, it says this. So the Pharisees said to one another, talking about Jesus, "You see that you are gaining uh, nothing. Look, the world has gone after him." Um, and so talking about how the whole world is going after Christ, clearly not every single individual in the world is following mm-hmm. Jesus. They're using it to make a point that um, most kind of like all kinds of people are going after Jesus. Um, and so the use of, of world was to correct the Jewish error in thinking that Jesus died only for ethnic Israelites. Um, it, it It is that ethnic particularism that's being challenged with this word when the New Testament authors use it, um, it they're using it to refer to humanity as a whole. Mm-hmm. Jesus came to die for the whole world, not just the nation state of Israel, not just the Jewish people. He came to die for the whole world. And so if you think about it, in the 1984 Olympics that were in Los Angeles, the announcers said, the world is at our doorstep. 
Now, this obviously didn't mean that every individual in the world was on the doorstep in Los Angeles, but every nation was represented there in Los Angeles from the world. And that's really the sense that the New Testament authors are trying to convey when they use the word world. Mm-hmm. That's a this, that's a great point to bring up because it goes to the fact that um, the the New Testament writers were uh, men who wrote and spoke in um, normal language um, that was inspired by God, and so the use of colloquialisms, kind of like this, where using the term "world" to mean um, not the literal whole world, but sort of um, all all parts of the world or all mm-hmm. nations of the world. Um, it's important to call out because this is just sort of how we we speak um, in, yeah. uh, in in real life, and I think the the Olympics example is a great call out on that. Sure, um, but certainly the uh, other than this, there's other objections as well. Yep, yep, there are uh, some people object to uh, or use uh, or bring up the objection that there are passages that talk about Christ dying for all men, um, and uh, you see this specifically um, in First Timothy chapter two. Among other places, you see it in Romans 5, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 15. But I'll read 1 Timothy 2, 4 to 6, um, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, but it says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so here you get uh, the sense uh, or um, that... Uh, Paul is saying that Jesus came to die for all men, um, and this is an objection uh, that folks will throw at uh, the idea of definite or limited atonement. What does Paul mean um, when he uses this word all? And in each of these passages, the all simply means all kinds of people who are in Christ. If the all means every single individual, then it goes beyond the bounds of Scripture, for once again, it suggests universalism. Mm -hmm. If Paul is literally talking about all men, that's impossible. And so we've got to decide what is he talking about when he refers to all in these passages. And the passages listed simply refer again to the reality that both Jew and Gentile would be saved. In other words, Christ died for all men without distinction. He died for Jew and Gentile alike, but not without exception. He didn't die for the purpose of saving each and every lost sinner. That's to say Christ's mission was universal in scope, but limited in its efficaciousness. Mm -hmm. Because if Christ did die for every single uh, human being, then, but we're not universalists, then you end up in a really tricky position by saying that God would send someone to hell for whom Christ has already atoned for their sins. And that just doesn't make any sense either. That's right. And if you look closely at 1 Timothy uh, 2.4, uh, when Paul says God wants all men to be saved, it's so important when you're reading the Bible to take context into consideration. Had a seminary professor that would make us, he would begin every class with forcing us to say out loud as a class, context is king. Mm. Um, and uh, 
really, if you're reading a verse or two, you want to read the verses around it. And the more verses around it you can read, the better, because it's giving you more context for what the author's trying to, to put forward. So what does Paul mean when he uses this phrase all? Well, look up, look at the context. In chapter 2, verse 1, he starts this way. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. What does he mean? For kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul here doesn't mean every single human being. Look at how he clarifies what he means in verse 2. He refers to all sorts of authorities and classes. He's saying, don't just pray for your brothers and sisters in a low position. Pray for kings and your rulers, those that are over you. He's saying, Pray for all types of people, whatever their station in life. And this is really the same idea behind uh, two, um, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 in, in this passage where Jesus died as a ransom for all types of men. Um, and it's the same Greek word translated in um, 2 Timothy 6.10 where, uh, where, where Paul talks about all kinds of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, all simply means that salvation isn't limited to a particular ethnic group or gender or any other subsection of humanity. When Jesus came to save all people, he came to save all kinds of people. That's interesting, that point in, in uh, the beginning of 1 Timothy 2 where he, Paul makes sure to specify that we should also pray for kings and all kinds of authorities, um, almost as though he's correcting a, a misconception that for some reason we we shouldn't or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I suppose in modern day, we could we could pray for even, um, you know, secular rap artists who come out with gospel albums That's or right. something like yeah. that. So. <laughs> yeah. Pray for all kinds of people. Pray for Republicans and Democrats. Pray for all kinds of people. Uh, pray for those who love the Longhorns and the Aggies. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's all in that sense. Yes, um, no matter yes. where folks find themselves in life. Glad I could slip that uh, current event <laughs> in there. Let the listener understand. Yeah, that's right. Um, Don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, but but Michael, surely doesn't God love everyone? This is another another objection that we often hear. That is uh, another objection you often hear, and once again, it's important to define our terms um, and. There's four different ways that uh, love is defined in the Bible, generally speaking. First, you see the love of God within the Trinity, the love that God has for um, the, the persons of the Godhead have for one another within the Trinity. Father loves the Son, Son loves the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit loves the Father, uh, and you could, you could draw that triangle. Um, and talk about how God loves himself. Uh, the second uh, way that the Bible talks about love is the love that God has for the incarnate Christ, how the Father loves the Son as he um, walks this earth um, as the second person of the Trinity. The third uh, way that the Bible talks about love is the general love that God has for the world. And so in Psalm 145, verse 13, let me turn there real fast and read it. Psalm 145, verse 13, should have had it open, but I didn't. It says this, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words, and kind in all his works. 
And so talking about how, um, in a sense, there's a general overshadowing kindness that God gives to everyone, Mm -hmm. uh, his general grace, grace for us to breathe, grace uh, in his oversight and preservation of all creation. It's his common grace that allows us to wake up to experience sunny days and rainy days, uh, to experience work uh, and play. And so there's a sense that God does love all of his creation in a common way. Mm -hmm. And then there's a fourth way, the specific love, the special marital love that God has for his own people. Um, You see this uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And let me flip there real fast. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 4. It says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here, uh, God is talking about the special love that he has for his elect. And so um, you can say this, Michael loves everyone in San Antonio, and you can say Michael loves his wife. Both could be true, but those, those two words for love have radically different meanings. We're called to love everybody mm-hmm. um, as we follow Jesus. We're called to love everybody as we've been loved by Christ. But then there's special ways that we love certain people. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's a helpful way to think about even how we think about love differently and how we relate to people differently uh, with our love. So what we see here is that Calvinists don't limit God's love. Those who disagree are the ones that really limit his love because they say there's no fourth level to God's love. He only has a generalized love for everybody. And if that's the case, um, then everybody kind of receives the same love from God. Um, And that, once again, leads us into the realm of kind of a universalism Mm -hmm. type of theology uh, that the Bible just does not support. Yeah. Um, Another objection that you hear to limited atonement often is that it somehow um, interferes with the full and free offer of the gospel. And uh, I'm I'm going to try to refrain from, once again, mentioning lifting up people's shirts to look for targets (laughs) on their back. I don't remember when I said that, but... uh, um, yeah, we're not going to do yeah. that. But <laughs> so, so limited atonement. How does this? How do we relate this to the full and free offer of the gospel? That's strike two, by the way. Whoppers was strike oh, one. Oh man! Um, and uh, <laughs> and so let's finish this podcast up before we hit strike three because I don't know what's going to happen at that point. Um, but yeah, how do we how do we um, reconcile uh, the fact that we are offering the gospel fully and freely? Because it seems like if Jesus came to die for a certain amount of people then what we're doing isn't really a full free offer of the gospel. And you see really both sides of this truth in John 6, verse 37, where it says, all that the Father gives me, this is Jesus talking, all that the Father gives me will come to me, that's election, and whoever comes to me, the free offer, I will never drive away. And so there is this sense that people come to Jesus, and he doesn't drive anyone away that comes to him. And we offer a completed salvation and our real Savior. We're commissioned by God to offer this, um, and it's up to God to change people's Mm -hmm, hearts mm -hmm. uh, so that they might actually come to Jesus with a regenerate heart through faith and repentance. And everybody that comes to Jesus, he will never drive away. And so if you think about it, this actually allows us to go out and preach the gospel and to offer it fully and freely with confidence that no one else can have yeah. 
because we know that there are people out there that Jesus has come to die for that need to hear this message. And those that hear it and that God works on their hearts, uh, when, when he works on their hearts, they will actually come to him. Mm-hmm. It, it actually it ensures uh, success in a sense. Otherwise, we're offering a gospel and crossing our fingers and kind of hoping that we said it mm-hmm. in the right way or that people heard it in the right way or they're in a good mood that day uh, in order to receive it. And it's not a real full free offer of the gospel if, you know, you're always worried about, am I saying yeah. the right thing? Or are they in the right mood to receive it? You we, really you really can't fail because no matter where you're preaching the gospel or sharing this with your coworkers or friends, all those who are appointed to eternal life will believe. Yeah, that's right. And so it, it I mean, through a back door in some ways, it really gives us even more confidence. Yeah to go out and proclaim the gospel fully and freely, basically spreading seed wherever we will, and then leaving it up to God to do the work with the seed that we spread. Mm-hmm. It, salvation is all God's work, but um, God has chosen to work through means, and those means are the preaching of the gospel and baptism mm-hmm. and the Lord's Supper. And so, um, yeah, I think it gives it gives the Christian a lot of confidence in the uh, in their evangelism, yeah, and and here's you get you get a, a theological term here. You got the general call, and that's the call that we make on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. from the pulpit. It's the call that we make in our workplaces, in our homes, among our friends, where we're calling people to Jesus, uh, and that's our work. That's how God works through us. Uh, but there's a special call, uh, the effectual call that the Spirit actually. Um, works in somebody's heart where they they respond in an effectual way to that call and come to Jesus through faith and repentance. And that's not our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Our responsibility is the general call, and we call everybody, the whole world. We call all people, uh, and it kind of fits together with what we've been talking about tonight. Uh, the gospel is for all kinds of people. Um, and so, yeah. Absolutely. Well, those terms, the general call and the effective call, will come into play a lot more next week when we talk about irresistible grace, the fourth of the five points of Calvinism. I think this is probably a good point to uh, wrap it up for the evening and take in the rest of this baseball game. Michael, do you have any final thoughts for the good of the group? Um, stay away from whoppers. <laughs> Man, I'm just getting raked over the coals on that one. Okay. Uh, well, well, we'll leave it there, guys. Um, friends I, don't let friends eat whoppers. How about that? Zinger. <laughs> Um, Cut me off. I got to (laughs) stop. It is a delicious treat. I don't know where this is coming from. Um, Me and Jacob are friends. (laughs) Um, I could only do this to a friend. (laughs) Well, we'll leave it there, guys. Hey, uh, if you have questions that you would like um, addressed uh, related to this topic or the other five points of Calvinism or really any topic generally, um, we'd love to receive those and take a stab at them. You can email those questions to michael at trinitygracesa.org. Or you can text those questions anonymously to 210-920-0783. My name is Jacob here with Michael Novak. This has been Trinity Grace Midweek, and we'll see you later.